Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got Dan Watkins, Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson, John Farley, and I'm Hazel Burton. It's the Nerdfest end of year review special. So we'll be recapping what we most enjoyed about the year 2020 and celebrating everything nerdy that came out this year. So let's start our show. Happy 75th episode, everyone. <gasps> Happy 75th. Feeling old. Oh, blimey. Filling it in the hip. We'd almost be able to retire. <laughs> if it wasn't for Brexit fucking everything up and none of us ever going to be able to retire ever again. But yes. <laughs> so um, my favourite thing this year, I really enjoyed Secret Cinema's immersive theatre production of 28 Days Later. Mm. I thought that was really, really good. I mean, it's been going for about right. nine months now, I think. And obviously, the, the, the production values are great on it, aren't they? I think it's uh, yep. I think that was really well done. I like the way they made it free. Yeah. I'm not sure I approve of making it compulsory. No, but I think, you know, so well done, Secret Cinema. Uh, <laughs> when do you think they'll finish the event and just show the film? Well, the, the last few ones I've been to, they show the film and they have a massive big party afterwards, so I'm hoping that mm. <laughs> New Year's Eve, the screens are going to fall down, music's going to start blasting out, and we'll all have a big party. As Brexit kicks in. Mm-hmm. Yes. You have to spoil it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and on that optimistic note... Um... <laughs> wow. Well, it's a good job. We've got all this good TV to watch, isn't it? Yes. So much TV. <laughs> Torturous link. <laughs> So um, we're not going to do this in a defined, structured way, like I suggested. Um, we're going to do this as a free for all. <laughs> so yeah, Never talking about tip. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, you, you tried charging for it; it didn't work. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're going to talk about some uh, some of the biggest things in 2020. Um, some of the stuff that you know we didn't get to cover, but we really want to include um, and. Yeah, we'll just we'll just see what happens, really. Well, I I bet that the top of my list and Hazel's list will probably be quite similar. Mm-hmm. Because John, would you like to guess what that might be? What do you think that might be, John? You both finally got to go and see Mandy this year, didn't you? And realised I was correct all along. I'm still holding out on Mandy. I will watch it, but um. Mm. I wonder what else it could be. I mean, mm. to, to be honest, John, after that storyline w- with the new pandas for the zoo, I just went off the idea of Mandy. <laughs> it's a West Wing reference for anyone it, it who is. <laughs> that yeah. sailed over the head of ah. <laughs> I know it's a 20-year-old show, but there is something connected to the West Wing that is new in 2020. So I don't know mm. if we want to save that for later or... Is it the undoing or is this something different? This is something different. Is it the West Wing reunion? Um, no, it's not, actually. Hmm. Nope. Ah. So uh, the reason I mentioned The Undoing is because Donna appears in it and appears not to have changed at all in 20 mm. years, which is quite spooky. I've heard mixed things about The Undoing. Um, is that that's Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman? It is, yes. yeah. yeah. Um, it's the one that is supposed to be an exciting Did He Do It thriller where the second you see Hugh Grant's called Dead Eyes... I mean, the man tried to kill Paddington. He's a monster. He can do anything. I mean, to be fair, Nicole Kidman, also under suspicion, did also try and kill Paddington. 
Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> but we have watched all of The Undoing. The first few minutes of each episode are very good. The last couple of minutes of each episode are very good. The 50 minutes in the middle are pretty dull. Yeah. Without exception. That's almost exactly what Judith said. It should be like half asleep through the episode. Then all of a sudden, in the last 30 seconds, it'd be, ah, ah, why didn't they do that earlier? Yeah. We watched episode two last night and I fell asleep at the beginning and woke up just as Hugh Grant walks in. But if you've seen episode two, you'll know that there's a large chunk there. And I watched it again this morning because we didn't want to watch episode three until I'd watched episode two. Didn't need to bother. Yeah. I think it's like Nicole Kidman wandering around New York looking sad with a dodgy doctor husband who's up to some weird sex stuff. It's, it's eyes wide shut, shut too, basically, mm. isn't it? <laughs> and the main thing you notice is her coats. She has beautiful yeah. long coats in every shot that they can possibly put a coat on her. She's had some work done and she's sashayed around that seven foot tall in these coats. And she just looks like Savu from Star Trek Discovery <laughs> to me, increasingly. <laughs> anyway, as I mentioned, this is a celebration of all of our favourite things about 2020. Um, not the shows that weren't all that great, but we want to rant about someone's style of coat. Yeah, so <laughs> Hazel, love of God. <laughs> what's on the top of your list? I think it's the same as what's on the top of my list, but I would like confirmation. Well, you're going to have to wait for it. But I've been thinking about it non-stop. Oh, <laughs> they're talking Hamilton, aren't they? Fuck's sake. Oh, Hamilton, yeah. He won his seventh world title this year, didn't he? He did, didn't uh, he? Despite having coronavirus. D- did you enjoy yeah. your gold Hamilton for your birthday? It was, it was delicious. Thank you. Yes. Of course, of course, number one on the list is Hamilton. And it... Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. And we weren't going to get it in 2020. That's the thing. They were going to release it as a theatrical release in October 2021, which um, was going to be the my favourite moment of 2021. Hazel. You're getting married in 2021. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> if you'd like me to leave, just say. <laughs> the eyes. Um, no, they, they brought it forward <laughs> to, to 2020 uh, to, you know, if, you, if you're optimistic, it was to cheer us all up. If you're pessimistic, it's to get more subscribers for Disney Plus. You decide. But um, yes. Yeah, they succeeded on both counts, really. True. The pessimist says the fact that Disney Plus stopped their seven day free trial a couple of <laughs> days before they put Hamilton on there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it worked. They got lots of subscribers and it certainly cheered me up. Mm-hmm. I don't think I quite realised what sort of mental state I was in by the beginning of July, but watching Hamilton with the original cast on Disney Plus for the first time, that all of the pent up frustrations and emotions I'd had throughout that whole lockdown just kind of came pouring out as I watched that. It was Probably one of the most overwhelming hey, it wasn't that things bad, that I thought I've... it was quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Not just my favourite thing this year, but of most years of my life, it was exactly what I needed to watch. It was one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah. And how many times did you watch it on the day it came out? I think it was three. So we had made plans to watch it with a couple of people um, at, I think it was midday. So that you know, some, someone um, took a sneaky long lunch break. Um, so we were like, yeah, sure, we can wait until then. No. We didn't. We, we started watching it at 7 or 8 a.m. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad I did because speaking as somebody who has had that 
music in my head for the past three or four years, it was a lot to take in actually seeing the people performing it for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I think if I'd watched it with other people that first time, I wouldn't have been able to cope. Like in a theatre, you can't like stand up and go, well, you can, but you know, you, you, <laughs> not in the middle of a song. Uh, <laughs> so, you, so you do that at home? Yeah. Yes, yes, she does. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, I, I'd taken the day off and Andy try, uh, was trying to work. He was trying to be on, uh, uh, on calls with uh, supposedly professional people. And I'm upstairs going, oh my God, ah, oh, oh, he, ah. <laughs> 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 this isn't a visual podcast, but Andy does at the moment have a, the look of somebody suffering severe flashback trauma. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until the Disney Plus version that Amy finally got fully hooked into Hamilton and spent most of autumn listening to it every day at work. She's right there with me in the fandom stakes now. Even going to see it live in London didn't quite get her to that level, but the Disney Plus version did. So thanks, Disney. Bring us more Star Wars. I have had less success in my relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me? Daniel's had more success in um, implementing Stockholm Syndrome than Hazel has, is what we've learned, I think. As somebody who knew very little about it, other than what I've been told repeatedly, um, I actually yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, and I thought it was really, really well filmed. As someone who's seen a lot of NT live stuff, that all looks quite staid and boring now compared to Hamilton. They've got that perfect line between recreating the theatrical experience, but also making it entertaining to watch at home and look like a film, which um, one of my choices also has done, but we will, we will get to that in, in time. Let's get to it now. What is it? David Byrne's American Utopia. Ah, I have heard very good things, though I haven't seen it. It is, comes out in the UK on Monday, but the British Film Institute did a free screening of it a couple of months ago, so you could watch it on the, B, uh, the BFI player. And is it a concert film? Is it the concert you went to? Yeah, so a couple of years ago, we, we saw it live. It's a concert with David Byrne and his band, but also quite a lot of talking head stuff. And there's kind of a through line through the songs and through the little talky bits in between about the state of America today. And so there is a little bit of a narrative there. It builds and ebbs and flows in a way that your typical standard concert wouldn't. It's very simple sets, uh, a chain mail around the stage and a 12-piece band who are completely mobile. Everything is done with wireless remotes. The drum kit is split into separate bits. You've got dancers and so on. I absolutely loved it live. It was one of my favourite concerts that I've been to probably in the, in the last few years. Almost maybe my top 10 of all time. Wow. Um, mm. So I really, really loved it. He did a Springsteen where he did a Broadway run of it, and that was filmed by Spike Lee. Mm. Right. And again, it's really, really well done. Um, kind of reminded me of Hamilton in that way, in that you feel like you're on stage, you don't feel like you're just watching certain concert films, which can be quite dull. And, you know, this is David Byrne, who we're talking heads, is responsible for probably the best concert film of all time we've stopped making sense and i would say this is a, a worthy follow-up to that so where can we see it it is released on digital download on monday so it will be a purchase it was on hbo max i think in america so presumably sky might get it at some point in the future but mm. um it's it's worth five or ten pounds to rent I, it's, I would recommend it unreservedly 
you mentioned Springsteen there, John, and he's on my list because he brought out a new album in October called Letter to You, and with it came a documentary on Apple TV Plus about the five days he and his band got together to make the album, looking back over the 50-odd years that they've been together as a band. And just as things were starting to ramp up again in the world and countries started going back into lockdown, a new Springsteen album and a film of him making the album and performing the songs again was exactly what I needed. That album has been Mm. the soundtrack to my last couple of months. And if you've got Apple TV Plus, it's absolutely worth your time. Some of the songs he's written for this album are brand new. Some of them are ones that he wrote in his early 20s that he's gone back to. And it just made me miss getting together in a music venue with thousands of people and hearing songs like that with everybody singing along. But it doesn't make me miss it in a sad, reflective way, more in a I can't wait until we get to hear these songs live kind of way. It's one of the best albums he's put out for a while. The documentary is really good. And that is uh, one of my highlights right at the end of the year. You realise there's some Apple executives now desperately getting very excited, cutting out of context. You said, Apple TV Plus, it's absolutely worth your time. (laughs) (laughs) It will be. Yeah, I think it's just that and the morning show I've watched on Apple TV Plus. Oh no, I did watch that Tom Hanks film about the boat. Greyhound. Have you watched Ted Lasso yet, Dan? No, but it's on the list. Andy, I think you watched it. How did you find it? I'm 60% of the way through. I'm enjoying it. At times, it annoys me because they make jokes and not a single one of them has landed. But it's got enough there that I like it. It, It's warm and has very pleasant characters and I want to see them succeed. It's just occasionally I think, yeah, we could have done without that forced joke. But then Mm. I'm I'm happy enough with the story and the characters. Yeah, yeah, recommend it. That's fair. Is it okay for comedy not to be funny? Thor Ragnarok did okay. I know, that's not a stupid question as it sounds. You don't have to laugh out loud. It Mm. can still be enjoyable to watch. There's some comedies um, where they're not that funny, but the characters are just so nice and warm and it's just pleasant to spend time in their company. I think it's more that. Yeah. yeah. Does anybody have any comedies on their top things of the year? Uh, I do have another one you may not have seen that's on Apple Plus, which is worth looking at, is Trying, which is shot in the UK around the um, Camden Lock area. Oh, I love Camden. About two people trying for a baby. And I, I thought it was really, really good. Mm. It's well worth a watch. Yeah, I fancy that. <laughs> Having hung around Camden on an evening, I quite often see two people trying to make a baby. (laughs) (laughs) I normally cross the road. Uh, It's it's not a comedy, but another honourable mention for Apple Plus is Defending Jacob. Barrel of laughs from what I've heard. Yeah, Yeah, I I was four episodes in when I recommended it. It is eight episodes long, and I have to say it ended incredibly well. It it came came with... It became really heightened with all the twists and turns and the court case. I'm told it ended very differently to the book, but it was brave enough to go to places that, um, I mean, they're they're very brave places to go to, but they didn't come out of the blue. You could sort of see how the characters were driven to make those very serious and dramatic decisions and trying to sort of talk around the edges without giving away any spoilers. But um, I really thought Defending Defending Jacob was excellent. Um, It really showed Chris Evans as a versatile actor in that, you know, you could really see his pain. You could see his stubbornness. Uh, Yeah, I would, if anyone hasn't kind of seen that yet, I would definitely recommend that. It's not a barrel of laughs, but it's still... (laughs) 
it's still a very, very good drama. Yeah, I agree. So speaking of sticking the landing or get a, a good ending, did anyone get to the end of Lovecraft Country? Ha ha ha! No. <laughs> Not a chance. No, didn't get past episode three. No, the shoe... Uh, in the ass was the um, the, fi- the final nail in the, the ass, ass, if you <laughs> if you forgive the expression. The final stiletto in the bum coffin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, did you get to the end, John? No, I got to episode nine, and then I forgot to watch the last episode, and I thought I would watch it this morning so I could talk about it. But then I went, and it appears to have disappeared off now TV. Uh. It's hiding in shame. I really liked the individual stories. I didn't need to see a stiletto up the bum, but I thought that storyline was good in, in that episode. <laughs> yeah. And there was a couple That's of other fair. ones where, uh, like the Haunted House one and a few others where I really liked the individual stories, but the overriding plot about finding the pages of the book and bloody 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 blah was just not good. So there was a lot of good individual stuff in there, but I just think as a series overall, it didn't hang together for me. I don't know whether it was trying to adapt specific Lovecraft short stories and just cram them together in a way that they didn't really deserve to fit together. The series which was on my list, um, which did do that much more successfully, is Castle Rock, which had its second season and spectacularly combines the character from Misery with a bunch of other characters and you see how that character was before she became the character that you see in Misery. And uh, I thought that worked really well and was a way of expanding the universe for that show. I would recommend mm-hmm. that, both seasons of it. King Country. Yes. Rather than Lovecraft Country. <laughs> I've got a TV show on my list that definitely stuck the landing to the extent that I have the final episode on my list, but not the rest of the series. Mm. And if you remember, it was this year, all the way back at the beginning of the year, that The Good Place finished. Yes. And the oh. last episode mm. of The Good Place is one of my top last episodes of anything. I didn't think much of a lot of the fourth season, didn't think much of a lot of the third season, but they absolutely got me with that last episode. From about five minutes in, I was a wreck and I didn't recover until the episode was finished. So that's very high up on my list this year, just for the final episode alone. One of two things that made me cry buckets this year were that and Jojo Rabbit, I think were the two things that made me Mm -hmm. cry like a baby. Mm. There's a a TV show that I watched this year, which I haven't talked about on the podcast, but I think it's worth a mention. And it's The Plot Against America, which was on Sky. And it imagines an alternate American history. It's told through the eyes of a working class Jewish family in New Jersey. And they have to watch the rise of uh, this character called Charles Lindbergh, who is xenophobic. He's a populist and he becomes and and he's a fascist and he becomes a president. So I thought you said this was an alternate history. <laughs> I didn't expect it to become a documentary, uh, but but there you go. And I think it's on, it's on my list because I think it's an important series because it has warnings about populism, about disinformation, about how a series of events one after the other can bring nations to this sort of state. I think it's an important watch and it was also very, very well acted. It was a great role for Winona Ryder. Um, I can't remember seeing her better than this. So yeah, it's it's not on my list because I, you know, I enjoyed watching it, but I, it's on my list because I thought 2020, it, it kind of deserves to be on there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I thought it was great as well. It's completely passed me by that. I know we've mentioned it on the podcast before, I think, but mm. it's odd because it sounds right in my street as a yeah. fascist dictator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that I'd like to bring to everyone's attention um, that I think would be gr- absolutely great, very important for people to read, particularly in 2020, is a book called Natives, Race and Class in the Ruins of Empire. It's by Akala, who is a BAFTA and MOBO award-winning hip-hop artist, writer and social entrepreneur. It was first released in 2018, but I only read it this year in uh, the wake of the Black Lives Matter protests and, and movement. And uh, it really opened my eyes. It, it's a very well-written book. It's entertaining to read as well. Um, so if you're just looking for something to enjoy, then it, it'll tick that box. But I think it's, it's vitally important that a bunch of white people like us understand this perspective. Um, it's, it's part autobiography, part history, part social and political commentary, part treatise on the British myth of meritocracy. Um, Akala describes his own ex- uh, experiences with education, the police identity and all sorts in order to explain where we are today as a country and how we got here. It's made me understand a lot of, of what's going on and, and how hugely privileged I am and how I need to take greater interest in the world around me and stand up for things that are, are right. Mm-hmm. It's available online at all places where you can buy books and that. I read a few books by ta Coates over the summer especially, and I feel more educated than I was about the American side of things, but I've been trying to catch up as it was with what's been happening in Britain. So Steve McQueen's Small Axe films that have been airing mm. on BBC have helped me. Uh, David Olasoga's books are very good as well. He's written some for kids and he's written some for adults, which really dig into black British history of the kind that we don't tend to hear about all that much until very recently, at least anyway. Mm-hmm. For me as well, just just when you thought I p- couldn't possibly bring the West Wing into a conversation about new things in 2020, I did. I got the loveliest birthday gift from John and Louise. It's called Walk With Us, uh, How the West Wing Changed Our Lives. And it, it's a collection of essays from West Wing fans on how they've been influenced by the show. So there's this whole chapter on how the West Wing changed how people see themselves um, with references to characters like CJ and how she never apologised for what she believed in and what she fought for. She has flaws, she makes mistakes and she's a little bit crazy, but that's okay. And the passion that she brought for her work is incredibly inspiring. So yeah, there's there's chapters on um, people who have met their partners through Love of the Show or at at a fan event or they've recognised quotes and they've got in touch. There's accounts from people who have entered into politics um, or it's, it's changed the way that they approach the world or that it's changed the way they approach their job. There's one person who um, said that the West Wing stopped them from being ashamed of their idealism. If you want to see change, go on and do it because you shouldn't be held back by naysayers or pessimists. And I think I can, I can relate to the West Wing, but I can also relate to these fan accounts as well because I work in an industry where most people are pessimist and I personally have been called naive and inexperienced for my levels of positivity, uh, which I, it's just, it's not true. And, you know, those are simply efforts to try and undermine me and my knowledge and my approach. So 
I think if, you, if you've just started to watch The West Wing because it's just appeared on all four, if you're a long-term fan, I would definitely recommend reading this book because I promise you it will make you feel good in a, in a year which has done everything it can to make us not feel good. It will help you stop comparing yourself to other people and it will help you celebrate who you are because that is what the West Wing characters do. They are themselves, they're passionate believers in, in, in things, uh, they support each other and they're there to do the best job possible. So yes, do walk with us and uh, uh, and read this book and watch The West Wing. John, did you check with Andy that she didn't already have that? <laughs> I didn't actually know. I, I did think once I'd bought it, oh, I wonder if she's already got that. But by that point, it was too late. <laughs> <laughs> it was also accompanied by a West Wing colouring book as well. Wow. Excellent. <laughs> what kind of things do you get to colour? The White House. <laughs> it's 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 scenes from uh from the show so uh which is lovely i i text john and i was like oh, this is just the most incredible present because this not only makes me relive my fandom of the west wing but it makes me relive how i learned to color in because my granddad <laughs> my granddad taught me how to color in and you know you have certain memories of being with your grandparents and this is a very strong one for me and uh, uh, you know this whole kind of coloring in so uh, yes i do <laughs> i'm not always nice to you john but <laughs> i would <laughs> not always <laughs> not always no uh, i'm kidding um uh yes i I want to thank you and Louise for such a thoughtful gift right, uh, and I would like to recommend it to everybody as well. My memory of my grandparents is my grandmother renting out early Peter Jackson splatter flick Bad Taste and watching it with us. <laughs> did she enjoy it? She did. Did she get you the Bad Taste colouring book? She did not, no. There would have been a lot of red and green in there. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking of that generation and the generation before that, my top film of the year that wasn't Hamilton was 1917. Yes. Um, yes. Which makes it onto my list. Devastating moments and scenes in that film. Incredibly compelling. I am quite happy that Parasite won all the main awards because that's on my list as well. Uh, a very close second in the films of the year stake. But 1917, I think, mm. just pipped it in my appreciation yeah. and mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. enjoyment of cinema. It's on Prime Video. It can be watched as can Parasite. And uh, I'll probably revisit both of them before the year's over. Mm -hmm. Did you know that um, the 1917 is the reason Doctor Strange 2 was delayed? Because they had to do lots of takes and Benedict Cumberbatch just had to stand for 90 minutes and wait. <laughs> and then they kept getting it wrong a couple of minutes. <laughs> And have to go back. It's <laughs> I'm really glad you mentioned that film, Dan, because it's uh, easy to forget how well the year started uh, with 1917 and Parasite. Uh, Little Women was out just before uh, the new year and uh, they were all excellent. And my favourite film of the year was the very last thing that we saw in a cinema before lockdown came in. It was Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely sublime. Uh, best thing I've seen all year. Um, it's a romantic drama uh, written and directed by Celine Sciamma, um, late 18th century Brittany. Uh, a young artist is commissioned to paint a wedding portrait of uh, a young woman who doesn't want to get married and doesn't want to be painted. And they develop a doomed relationship and it's stunningly beautiful. It's kind of slowly, deliberately paced and emotional and, and just gorgeous to look at. And talk about sticking the ending. It's got 
possibly the very best ending I've ever seen on on film. And it's yeah. it's quite simple, but it just it's a genius move that that builds and builds and builds in intensity, and it just racks you with 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 emotion. And it's just so so very good. And I will watch this again before the year is up. We've been meaning to watch it for the last two weeks. Because I think, is it is it on Mubi? Is that correct? Uh, you're right. It's on Mubi. We've just got a Mubi subscription, which I would recommend at the moment. But I was always a little bit put off with Mubi because I'm very busy. And Mubi's shtick is that the film is on for 30 days. They put a new film on every day. It stays on for a month and then it's gone. Which is kind of a nice idea of having a new film and like a created selection of stuff. But you want to watch something but maybe not that night so then go back a week later and it's gone but they've got uh, a decent archive section on there now so there's a few hundred if not more films that have on there so if you have kind of art house independent foreign film leanings then i would recommend movie with the caveat that the app is appallingly bad particularly on smart tvs um there's a lot of good films underneath there to watch I watched a really, really interesting documentary called Faith, which is about uh, a cult in Italy, which is built around the twin doctrines of Catholicism and Kung Fu. And <laughs> it's really, really interesting. And, and again, a very beautiful mm. thing, all shot in, in monochrome and very cinematic. It's yeah, really good. I'm, I'm enjoying movie and we'll watch many more things. Is it called Cast for the Lord? <laughs> it should have been. Uh, no, just, just Faith. <laughs> Gotta have Faith. BBC iPlayer particularly, mm. I've seen all sorts of classic films on there this year that I might not have had a chance to watch otherwise. Things like The Lavender Hill Mob, Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, Brief Encounter, In the Heat of the Night, uh, Citizen Kane's been on there most of the year, Bringing Up Baby. There's been all sorts of really good classic content on there, uh, which is a nice complement to all the new stuff you get with The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus and things that have been coming out on Netflix throughout the year. One of my faves of which is probably The Queen's Gambit. Yes. Yep. Yeah. That's great. Not seen it. Oh, you should. Stop recording now, John. Go watch <laughs> it and we'll come back and finish. Okay. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't Louise seen it? I think Louise started watching it whilst we were recording a podcast, actually. Mm. Don't want to speak for her. I think she enjoyed the beginning more than the end. So I thought the final episode was one of the greatest pieces of TV I've ever seen. Yeah. I may be wrong. I should ask her, really. <laughs> I'm sure a load of people will have thought, do I really want to watch the thing about chess? Is it going to be a blow-by-blow -blow account through a major chess game for half the episode? And it really isn't like that at all. If anything, it deliberately tries not to show you too much detail of the game to not mm. get bogged down in that. It's... Their faces, mm. their reactions. Mm -hmm. I mean, important. they made a Western musical, didn't they, about chess? So it must be slightly interesting. <laughs> it's completely absorbing. Uh, it go goes to show that if, if you make it well, then you can tell a great story about anything. Um, yeah. So if you're not into chess, uh, I am massively into chess now as a result of The Queen's Gambit. But if you're not into it, watch it anyway, because it's a phenomenal drama and great human characters. And it's just wonderful. I think the lead, Anatella Joy, is really good. Oh, yeah. She's a unicorn. She's in everything at the minute, though. She's amazing. Thoroughbreds was very good with her and Olivia Cook, but I think this is the best I've seen her. Yeah. Mm. She's in New Mutants as well. 
We'll try not to hold that against her. That on anyone's list? <laughs> no. no. I haven't watched it yet. I've, no. I've got it ready to watch. No. Uh, one thing about Queen's Gambit I didn't know is the novel it's based on was written by the guy who wrote The Colour of the Money and The Hustler oh. and The Man Who Fell to Earth. Well, mm. Walter Tevis. Mm. It is, yes. I think she struck that perfect balance. There is such power in watching someone, particularly a young woman, who is underestimated at every single turn and then she succeeds against all of those expectations. That's why I loved it. Honestly, I think it was absolutely incredible and it's rare for me to get completely absorbed into something uh, now with all these distractions around us and phones and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, uh, I thought it was incredible. And we watched, um, I think we probably watched one episode a night, maybe two on certain nights. Just wonderful. It definitely works best that way. It, it is a story about a, a woman growing into her power and, and discovering herself. And yeah, absolutely yeah. phenomenal. And the sets as well, the 1950s and the 1960s, like it was the cinematography, uh, the costumes, it was just... The wallpaper. The wallpaper. <laughs> it reminded me of um, the marvellous Mrs. Maisel in how well the set dressing is. Go watch it, John. Go. Yep. Should have been about checkers. <laughs> <laughs> did you at least enjoy the bit with the car chase and Bruce Willis? I did. I really, I, I mean, the fact that the, the pawns were, in fact, all gangsters. <laughs> I don't know. If we'd made up the bit about her watching chess on the ceiling, he probably would have thought we were making that up. <laughs> There's a bit where she plays chess on the ceiling, John. Why does she do With that? With Lionel Richie. <laughs> it's just more fun that way. Plus she's on lots of tranquilizers. Yes. <laughs> well, that's just 2020, isn't it? <laughs> Talk about Netflix. Does anyone feel Netflix's 2020 awards slate possibly isn't as good as last year's where we had like Marriage Story and The Irish Man and a couple of others? Well, they're not competing with cinema movies as much as they might have been. You've got the trial of the Chicago 7, which I think mm -hmm. is in contention. Yeah. Yes, I really enjoyed that, yeah. I would assume to Five Bloods, mm -hmm. certainly for Delroy Lindo, possibly for Chadwick Boseman, and if not for that film, then Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is... Is that Netflix? That is coming out in December on Netflix. Right. And that looks very good indeed from the trailers. The reviews have been very good. I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but it's his final in-person performance. And yeah. I can't imagine that, given the opportunity, the Oscars would ignore the chance to honour him. Yeah, Amon Warman from Empire has seen it, and he said that he just can't see anybody else winning the, the, the Best Actor Oscar. So, yeah, looking forward to that one. Yeah. But that's the only thing, really, for the winter in Netflix that... I think it's going to be a contender for Oscars. Yeah, has anybody else other than me seen Mank yet? Oh, yes, I have, and had already forgotten. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> How many days was that ago, Dan? That was one week ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, David Fincher, it was fine, it was fine. <laughs> it looks beautiful, and there's some really good performances in there. I thought Amanda Seyfried in particular was really, really good at it. And Charles Dance had some nice little moments, but it's just not that exciting a story, is it? Man has a beer and writes a screenplay, and apparently terribly factually inaccurate as well. It's based loosely on a Pauline Kael article called Raising Cain, mm -hmm. which was essentially an attempt to also deconstruct the Otier theory, that the director is the, the true author, so really, really tried to understate Orson Welles' contribution towards the script. 
and posit that it was pretty much entirely written by Herman Mankiewicz. That is the impression I got from it, certainly. But it's bollocks. It's all, you know, completely incorrect. <laughs> I mean, Herman J. Mankiewicz wrote a lot of it, but it was very much collaboratively written. And if you compare the original screenplay to what was ultimately made, you know, Orson Welles is all over the script and all over the structure. Again, it looks great. Um, Gary Oldman's 20 years too old, but Sasha Baron Cohen's also 20 years too old in the Chicago 7, and I think they both just got away with it. Mm. There's one bit where Gary Oldman says, I'm 43, and me and Louise both burst out laughing. Uh, but then we looked at the actual real-life guy who who liked to drink, and at 43, he did look you know, pretty Gary Oldman-aged. <laughs> Speaking of Trial of the Chicago 7, did that make your list, Hazel? I think Aaron Sorkin, and I've heard this argument before, he's too much of a good writer to have Aaron Sorkin as the director. I think if he'd have concentrated on the writing, I think we'd have had a more visual experience for this, The Trial of Chicago 7. I really didn't like Molly's Game, which was the first one that he directed. And I thought yeah. Sorkin the writer got in the way of Sorkin the director a lot there. Yeah. But I thought, you know, for something that's essentially a courtroom drama, I thought he kept it interesting visually throughout. It was mm-hmm. very well edited. And it, it, it coped well with flashbacks and things mm-hmm. and didn't make them seem annoying or out of place. Yeah. Mm. Oh, don't, don't get me wrong. Like Aaron Sorkin is like on a pedestal far higher than anybody else. I'm nitpicking here because he is so great. But f- for me, that movie is right up my alley. Yes, make all the jokes, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's got history. It's got politics. I thought it was terrific and I'm so glad that it was something that we were able to experience this year and it wasn't put back to next year, as is the case with most movies. What What do you think of the argument that Sorkin can't write women that aren't called CJ? I think there's merit to it, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah, um, a lot of the female characters that he does write... Um, their whole being is about uh, another man. Uh, they don't really have an independent streak as much. So, so I think it's fair. It's still, it's still awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's still great. But... <laughs> I have a very weird and tenuous link to The West Wing from a thing I was going to recommend, which is a series called Evil, a show run by Robert and Michelle King, I think it is, who do The Good Wife. It's about a team of three people who deal with exorcisms and things like that. One's a priest, which is the guy who is in uh, Luke Cage. And Mike Coulter, I think he is. Yeah. And a tech guy and a sort of non-believer character who in effect is a scully. I started being not really sure about it at all, but over the season, I just got to like it more and more and more. And I think they, it kind of got into its groove. It doesn't start by saying all this stuff's real and you've got to accept it or you won't enjoy the show. We use the sceptic as our route into these things. The protagonist mum is played by Christine Larty, who is now a great-looking 70-year-old, which sounds like a weird thing to say, I know, but she does. You would ne- mm. we, There's no way we guess she was 70 looking at her. She got a bit of the Helen Mirrens about her. Touch of the Dem Harris. But the weird West Wing link is she is married to Thomas Schlammy, who directed almost all the West Wing episodes. Mm-hmm. Tommy Schlammy. Yeah. yeah. Schlammy just really sounds like a Jewish name for a penis, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, God. who's going to come up with the link from that (laughs) what was the best film about penises an American pickle (laughs) with Seth Rogen Uh, I'm pretty sure Beyond Reanimator had a reanimated penis (laughs) well they do say Viagra can bring you back from the dead (laughs) Mm -hmm. so is anybody other than me aware of the reanimator films at all nope yeah uh, very, very slocky 80s horror films. 
blood, guts, gore, nudity, all that malarkey, um, based very, very loosely on a H.P. Lovecraft novel. And uh, there's a character called Herbert West, who is a mad scientist who discovers a serum that can bring the recently deceased back to life. Um, they were going to do House of Reanimator uh, with William H. Macy playing George Bush. Just because he's got a middle initial doesn't mean he's, he's <laughs> ideal for the role. The idea was that George Bush had a heart attack and died in the White House. And uh, Herbert West was called in to bring him back to life with his reanimated serum. So we had like a raging, <laughs> crazed zombie in charge of the country whilst Dick Cheney tried to calm him down and stuff like that. <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> Uh, one of my top three things this year had a whole lot of zombies in it, and that was The Last of Us Part Two. Definitely my top game of the year, but probably my favourite story of the year. I cared more about what happened to them in that game than I think I did for any film or TV show this year. Definitely mm. one of the best narratives of any medium this year, I, I would I say. I've downloaded it, but I haven't yet played it because we played through the first one. Uh, Louise doesn't play games, but she'll sometimes watch me playing them. Mm-hmm. And she wants to see what happens next, so I'm waiting so that we can <laughs> play it. So I think over Christmas we're going to play The Last of Us 2, because that sounds like that will, be, that will be cheerful. Does everybody know why George Bush led to an episode of Game of Thrones being re-edited? No. Did he get White House privileges for being able to watch stuff in advance? No. Nope. Is that a thing? In a first season episode where they had all the heads on spikes outside uh, Winterfell, George Bush's head was one of the heads on the spikes. They'd found the prosthetic <laughs> George Bush head and put it on there. And someone discovered it and they had to go back and digitally re-edit it after he complained. <laughs> <laughs> Did not know that. That could have been a buff. It could have been, yes. I've, I've wasted mm. that, haven't I? Um, we had a lot of series coming back for later series, most of which were pretty good. Uh, the Boys. I thought it was really good mm-hmm. with its second season. Umbrella Academy I enjoyed as well for a similar sort of thing. Sex Education came back for its second series. Uh, Better Call Saul's up to its fifth season. And What We Do in the Shadows as well. Yes, season two of What We Do in the Shadows was excellent. There is one particular episode that involves a character called Jackie Daytona, which we have rewatched several times and it's just hilarious. Uh, Matt Berry has never been funnier. Natasha Dimitriou is always very funny. Stathlet's Flats was another comedy highlight for me this year. Much smaller scale than what we do in the shadows, set in a London letting agency, but very, very funny indeed. And for those 20-minute bursts of fun and laughter, you can forget the awfulness that has (laughs) been 2020. Well, the best series for forgetting the misery of 2020, I found, was Somebody Feed Phil, which had seasons three and four this year. Well, somebody punched Phil in his fucking face. (laughs) Punch you in your fucking face. (laughs) And smile while he does it. I just don't get it. John, that speaks volumes about you, doesn't it? <laughs> he's just a nice, friendly guy. He's a nice, friendly guy he's who happy, comes John. and eats your food. Yeah, he's, he's a happy guy who does a show where he travels and eats food and then we yeah. watch him and it's nice. The Chef Show, that's also on Netflix, I think does that much better with John Favreau and the uh, restaurant owner where they go around lots of different restaurants and try the food, but you get a lot more of the making of the food, which I'm always quite interested in. But I just, I just don't like Phil. I'm sorry. Phil would like you. Phil likes everybody. He does. Is that why you don't like him? He's just so, he's so happy with life, isn't he? 
At no point in how many episodes at no point has he ever like eaten something and went, Oh, that's stale. Why are you feeding me this? We all have go to restaurants occasionally and go, Well, that wasn't very good. Not Phil. Phil, everything you know, you could shit in Phil's mouth, you go, Oh, it's lovely. It's just so relentlessly (laughs) positive. Honestly, what a oh he's a serial killer. He kills children. It's the only explanation. <laughs> you know, you know when you say to people like, Oh, he is so nice and never I never knew he tortured old ladies in his basement. That's Phil. Oh my god. <laughs> so John, legally, as a lawyer, um, is it a good idea for you to say that on the podcast? Yes. Because it's all okay. true. <laughs> uh, John, what's the legal definition of an accomplice? We're all accomplices because we all knew when none of us stopped him. <laughs> Uh, well, so, yes, Somebody Feed Film was recommended by Dan earlier this year and we started watching it and we ate every episode up like we were consuming apple pie. It was just wonderful. And for a year when we couldn't travel and we postponed a lot of our holidays, we were able to live vicariously through, uh, you know, Phil as he travelled to all of these different cities and countries and danced and smiled and hugged and joked and everything his way through everything we weren't allowed to do this year he's just tormenting us basically i pay to watch a spin-off called somebody feed phil to an alligator (laughs) (laughs) on money plane (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah it's money plane on your list john do you want my top nicholas cage for 2020 there's so many to choose from yeah you need a top 20 before you do that um how excited are you to see his show about the history of swearing i'm very excited and the 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 teaser trailer with him painting an elaborate artwork that just has the word pussy written across it is bizarre (laughs) i I don't know what's happened to his brain i assume he's got another tax bill but i'm very much looking forward to it and also the film in which he plays himself the unbearable weight of massive talent that's the word yes Mm. So I'm I'm looking forward uh, to that. I'm I'm genuinely not sure if you're joking though. I'm not joking. No, that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah. So what's your top Nicolas Cage film of 2020, John? Um, it's, Go on. It's primal. Nicolas Cage as a big game hunter. Oh god. Oh my oh, that sounds awful. He he catches a rare white killer tiger known as a man eater, <gasps> as well as lots of other animals. He then pays to have passage on a boat back to America. Also on the boats, the FBI are bringing a serial killer back for questioning who is also locked in a cage. Can you guess what happens? <laughs> Comedy hijinks ensue. Comedy hijinks ensue. <laughs> Die hard on a boat with a tiger. Oh, wow. Nope. 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 <laughs> nope. <laughs> That's my, my list has got two or three recommendations from Dan. It has got no recommendations from John, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Cage is playing Joe Exotic, isn't he, as well, next year in a mini-series? Oh, yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure which I'm looking forward to more, Nicholas Cage's Joe Exotic <laughs> or Chris Hensworth as Hulk Hogan. It's a, it's a close-run <laughs> thing. Jesus. Something else I think we all enjoyed, Bill and Ted, Face yes. the Music. Yeah, and I put it on my list because I just had a massive grin on my face the entire time it just brought me joy Uh, another comic duo I really liked was my favourite thing on Netflix this year which was Middle Ditch and Schwartz that's on my list too Uh, episode 2 particularly I don't think I've laughed so much at anything else this year Mm -hmm. I was really missing improv lockdown had hit and then along they came to give us three hours of very very good improv Yeah, and then not get to see any improv at all 
for months now has been really sad. I think their world building is incredible. They only have a couple of chairs for props, but their acceptance and their commitment to their characters, which are fundamental improv techniques, but they're just on another level. Uh, So funny, so clever, so unexpected. Uh, And thank you to Netflix for, for featuring improv. They've not done it before. No, and hopefully they will again when people are allowed to watch it again, live, in person. Oh, remember? Uh, (laughs) We'll get there. Are there any particular things we haven't talked about yet that you'd like to tell people about that they might enjoy? My favourite thing of the year was um, um, there's a thing on, um, it's called Pornhub, and it only takes about 15 minutes to watch. Um, but that, you know, was during lockdown. 15 minutes, John, I am impressed. <laughs> well, this is before I got the new laptop, so it took, you know, the old one was taking a while to, well, you can wang faster now. to, to boot up. Do you like it even with the new restrictions? Because um, they're not doing unverified uploads anymore. Are they not? I was not aware of this. Yeah, yeah there's new mm. restrictions. There goes your channel, John. I know. It's, you know, they say there's some, something for everybody, don't they? And I didn't believe that until I discovered the internet. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, the, my favourite Pornhub story was that... Um, the, <laughs> the, apparently Pornhub has like a really generic name, kind of like Global Media Enterprises Limited. And the reason for that is the people that founded it didn't want the parents to know what they were doing. There'd be all this filth going on in this building on the bottom floor was just like a real generic office and nobody was allowed to say what they did or what they produced just in case any of the owner's parents ever popped by to see what the kids were up to. Um, I I found that out, actually. I went to see John Ronson live. He did a series about the porn industry? Kind of. It was called The Butterfly Effect. And it started with the death of a adult performer who died in slightly mysterious circumstances. And as he's investigating, it comes across all these different things that are only loosely related to it, but are, are really, really interesting stories about LA and that industry, but also other industries and how it all relates together. Came out maybe a couple of years ago, but that's highly recommended if you, if you want a podcast recommendation. If I did ever watch Pornhub, that podcast would mean that I would not want to really watch it after hearing some of the real life stories behind it. So I'm sorry I've ruined that for everybody as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to quickly shout out to St. Maud, uh, which I saw in October. And I am not a horror guy. And this is a psychological horror film. And I absolutely loved it. It's a newly devout, religiously devout nurse um, who becomes obsessed with saving the soul of a terminally ill patient. And it's creepy and brilliant. And it's it's not kind of gratuitous set pieces and, and in-your-face horror. It's, it's very thoughtful and slow-paced. And every time there is a scare, it feels like an organic consequence of, of the world and the characters. And it's another one with an astounding ending. Uh, St. Maud is, is probably my second favourite thing of the year. My offbeat pick, I suppose, would be a series called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which stars Jane Levy and is a a show with music. But it's not like a traditional musical. It's about someone who hears music in their head. It almost takes to ridiculous extents the conceit that in a musical, when someone sings, it's like singing their inner feelings. And this is kind of what people do. 
it's a very endearing series and it's 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 fun and very likable characters uh but it's really weird for the first four or five episodes when you watch it when people suddenly burst into song it's quite uncomfortable actually <laughs> it's not sort of pada big production numbers or it isn't to start with and it is quite strange but i i loved it i thought it was really good the actress i thought was very likable and you wanted to succeed is it similar to um, My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? In some ways, yes. That's probably the closest thing, though it is quite different in some ways. And mm-hmm. it's the differences between those two things that make this seem odd when you watch it because you're expecting it to be Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I think Louise might enjoy it, but mm-hmm. I couldn't say for sure. <laughs> A couple of horror films that are probably on my list and nobody else's list, including my favourite film of the year, was probably Possessor with the Brandon Cronenberg mm-hmm. film that I talked about a lot, and he's this week available as a digital download, and that is just really, really good, but very, very busily cold and clinical. In a good way, but in a way that is possibly alienating to a mainstream audience, but it's a real sci-fi horror bus recommendation rather than a mainstream recommendation, for which I would say His House, which I won't talk about at great length, because I think we did it a couple of episodes ago, but really really good and just wanted to repeat if you haven't seen it go and catch it it's on netflix you've got no excuse another one that's good uh brave new world i've been enjoying that seen six or seven episodes of that mm-hmm. it's obviously based on the oldest huxley novel closest if anything to westworld i would say in some ways and not as convoluted as westworld mm-hmm. but still the lead character harry lloyd is very good the guy who plays well they call him a savage because he's a normal human who's not part of their world uh, is played by the guy who was han solo in the movie i've not got the end yet but it's looking very good so far well there are 2021 roundup we can do the same thing as we did with lovecraft country you can tell us <laughs> well, it ends well okay i think this like discussion has highlighted the fact that whilst 2020 definitely is not the year that any of us had hoped for, far from it, it sort of highlighted that it wasn't all bad. Um, there is lots of things to be thankful for that we did get to enjoy. And of course, one of those things is being able to still do the podcast. And I have to say a huge thank you to Peter, who found a way to still do this, even though we've been um, forced to do it virtually and not sound sat around the table together. Um, so yeah, I think, I think this discussion has been great and it shows that we can still be thankful that there were some, some great stuff that came out of this year. And hopefully, you know, next year we'll be able to see things like uh, Wonder Woman, although there's a tiny chance we might see that before the end of the year. Black Widow, June, Bond, all these great stuff which have been postponed, they will still happen. We'll still get to enjoy them. We'll still get to celebrate all of these things. And yeah, I just I guess just want to say this is our last episode uh, before we break for Christmas. So just want to say... Pause big... there after this is our last episode. <laughs> I, I, I have some news. <laughs> Although what she not told us? <laughs> no, I was, I was thinking whether we're, we're going to do an episode before the new year or not, but uh, it's our last episode before mm. Christmas. It's been a year that uh, has been incredibly difficult, but we're nearly through it and lots of reasons to be positive for what's going to happen in 2021. You don't care about the show anymore, do you, Dan? Because you saw Marvel's and Star Wars slate announced at the Disney. It took me two hours just to read it all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went... <laughs> We were watching it live and um, I think Louise said, oh, Ian and Dan have been quiet on the group chat we have. And I think I said they may have wanked themselves to death. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> <laughs>
וואו. And that's all we've got time for for this last episode of Nerdfest for 2020. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, do check us out on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. And as always, we really do appreciate your reviews. They really do help us out. But we're not, you know, we're not all takers. We are givers as well. And John has a reward for anyone who leaves a positive review on uh, Apple yes, Podcasts. I do. Take it away, John. Uh, I'm going to put myself in a box wrap myself in paper hide under your tree and ruin Christmas <laughs> what again <laughs> people suffered enough in 2020 <laughs> we will be back in the new year so until then you've been listening to a man DeLorean season 2 was good wasn't it <laughs> portrait of an Andy on fire a man who's looking forward to a brave new world a man who would let Phil starve and a woman who wants to wish all of our listeners a wonderful Christmas and a very happy new year take care see you in 2021 bye John, can I get a retake on the line, which is uh, kind of a through line? Kind of a through line. Uh, higher energy and lower energy. Kind of a through line. Kind of a through line. Now do it like you're a cop on the beat in LA in the 1930s and you've just seen a perp. Well, it's kind of a through line. <laughs> <laughs> do it like you're a suave British spy who's having to impersonate a Japanese man. Kind of a through line. Do it like a sexual innuendo from a 70s carry-on film. Uh, kind of a foo line, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and now do it like a swan who's just developed the ability to speak. Uh, I was just about to say do it like a swan. It's the black swan Phil Naranovsky wishes he'd made. <laughs> <laughs>